Uh, we're going to jump in there. And uh, let me say a prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your people today. God, may we value the next generation. God, may it, may it be a value not just for this church, but for us personally. God, lead us to pray for the next gen. Lead us to serve. Lead us to give our resources, Lord, so that the next gen may know. We ask this in your holy name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So last week, Pastor Jason was telling me you guys were in Mark chapter 4. And it's, it's really cool. Before I knew that, God had laid on my heart a passage for, uh, for today. And uh, so last week, I'm just going to start. It's in verse 39. You'll see it on the slide behind me. It says, and Jesus at this point is on the ship. They're in a crazy storm. You guys covered this last week. Jesus is in the bottom of the boat taking a little nap. And the disciples are going crazy. And it says in verse 39, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this man that even the wind and sea obey him? And in this passage, you're going to see a map up next. This map will come up behind me. You'll see it. Now, scholars kind of debate. They left Capernaum in Mark chapter 4. And this story is also in the Gospel of Luke. And the Luke mentions that they're headed across the Sea of Galilee, but they end up all the way down the Sea of Galilee. And scholars kind of argue that they end up 14 miles off course. Well, as you've been in, knowing in the series, Jesus is in complete control of nature. Jesus controls the storms. He controls the waves. Did, Jesus, was, did it surprise Jesus that they ended up 14 miles off course? No. If Jesus can allow the storm or cause the storm, Jesus knows exactly where they're going to land. Our passage picks up in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and it says, And so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, just to be clear, the disciples are exhausted. Jesus got a little nap in. I don't think the disciples did. Right? So they land, they're exhausted, and I get the impression, if you've ever visited this part of the world, this part of the beach does not have much going for it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense for them to land there. But they land there, and it says, And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. For whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped them from his wrist, smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Just a little side note. Isn't it interesting? This man has a spiritual problem, and the people of the Gerasenes, the Decapolis, they're trying to solve it with a physical solution. This man has a spiritual issue of, of demonic possession, and they're thinking chains will work, and he keeps breaking these chains. So it says, day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. We're going to find out in just a second, this man is naked. He is covered in gashes from gashing himself, has chains, and he's like wailing and moaning, and he is going to run towards Jesus. Here's my question. If you are a disciple, what do you do when the naked, scary, demon-possessed man runs towards Jesus? Do you get in front of Jesus and say, no, I got this, Jesus? 
Are you, you're exhausted from fighting the storm. Are you like, I'm getting back on the boat. Um, I think for me, I would take a middle ground. I think I would like kind of stand beside Jesus and say, Jesus, I got this. And, you know, kind of like hope. But this man runs towards Jesus. I, the disciples just witnessed Jesus control a storm with a statement. And now they see this demoniac, this demon-possessed guy running at Jesus. I'm sure the disciples are like, this day could not get any weirder. It's about to. And in verse 6, it says, When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now, we can just kind of keep reading sometimes, but I think it's really important to think about this for a second. Who searched for who? Did the demon-possessed man look for Jesus, or did Jesus go looking for him? If you read just this passage, you can think, well, the man, the demon-possessed man, ran and found Jesus on the beach. But the interesting part is, Jesus and his disciples just went through a storm all night long, and they happened to run into this particular stretch of shore. This is my opinion, just being, just as I read scripture, I think Jesus had an appointment with a demon-possessed man. If you're praying for someone right now that doesn't know Jesus, can I encourage you with something? Jesus is pursuing them, and Jesus wants them to encounter him far more than you do, far more. A lot of times we can feel like I'm the one pursuing Jesus. Can I encourage you? He is pursuing you. He pursued you. The fact that you're sitting here today means that Jesus has a plan. He's been pursuing you. So he he finds here in in Mark chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus demanded, what is your name? The man replies, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again, not to send them into some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demon said, send us into those pigs, and the spirits begged them, let us enter them. So Jesus gave permission, and the idea was here, we don't have time to go into it, but if you ever read the background on this, um, it was believed that the demons would be sent off into a super far off place, like not even earth. So here the demons are saying, hey, can you just let us die in these pigs? And uh, the evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and an entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and were drowned in the water. Now, if someone loves pigs here, I promise I'm not being insensitive. Can you imagine that? Like you're sitting there nearby. Pigs are pretty smart animals. Sheep are not smart animals, but pigs are actually pretty smart in the animal world. For them to run off a cliff doesn't make any sense. And if you're, the, if you're the shepherd of those pigs, you have to be thinking, I'm in so much trouble right now. And it says in verse 14, the herdsmen fled to a nearby town, the surrounding countryside, telling everyone there was a cell on pork and a cell on ribs and a barbecue. No, I'm just kidding. Spreading the news as they ran, free pork, free hot dogs. Just sorry, can't help it. People rushed out to see what had happened and to get a barbecue, and the crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. They weren't afraid to try to shackle him and chain him, but they were afraid when the demons are gone, he's clothed, and he's perfectly sane. 
This man had a spiritual problem. There's a, a priest, I'm going to butcher the, the pronunciation of his name, the enunciation, but he has this quotation and he says, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. In other words, our spiritual beings will live on for eternity, but our flesh, if we're, if we're blessed, will last 100, 100 years or so. And so this man had a spiritual problem and they tried physically and Jesus comes in and is the solution. Jesus has full control of the natural realm and full control of the spiritual realm. The crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. You know, if you beg Jesus to go away, he will. Jesus is not like a taunting spirit. Um, and in the second, if you're like, Lord, I repent, Lord, I want you back, Jesus is back. We're gonna see that in just a second. But Jesus here is gonna get back in the boat. As he's getting back in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus to go with him. But Jesus says, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Now, when I first read this, I'm a youth pastor. I pictured, imagine this kid, a sixth grader, is getting bullied at school, bullied. Let's say I'm a big seventh grader. I go up and I rescue this kid from the bully. I help him up, get his books back. And then he goes, can I eat at your lunch table? And I'm like, no, go back to your lunch table. That's kind of how I saw it. I was like, Jesus, why can't this dude be another disciple? You know Judas is about to do something inappropriate. Let this guy be your early fill-in. Like, we don't even know his name. He's just the demon-possessed man. And Jesus says, no, go home to your family. Tell them everything. This is verse 19. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region, call them the Decapolis and other parts of scripture, and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. Now, sometimes we can end there and we're like, cool story. It gets actually cooler. So Jesus leaves in the boat, tells this guy, go tell people what the Lord has done for you. In Mark chapter six, at the end of Mark chapter 6, it's verses 53, Jesus goes back to the Gerasenes, the same area they just kicked them out. And it says, as soon as they brought the boat to shore and climbed out, the people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran through the whole area carrying sick people on mats wherever he was. He went into villages, cities, and the countryside, and they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch him, and whoever touched him and met him was healed. What happens in a chapter and a half when he's told to leave and never come back, and when he comes back to the area, they're lined up to meet him? One demon-possessed man. We don't even know his name. In Scripture, he has one parallel, little Bible trivia for you. There's one other person in Scripture that's also a great evangelist, and we don't know her name. Anybody know? The woman at the well. So we have two people, both labeled by their affliction. The woman at the well and the demon-possessed man. We don't know either of their names. Both of them probably spent an hour or so with Jesus. And both of them helped save an entire region by just telling people what Jesus had done for them. They didn't have a theology degree they, they didn't have extensive knowledge of why or how or how it worked in the Torah or Hebrew scriptures. They just said, come meet a man who rescued me. 
come meet a man who knew everything I'd ever done and still loved me. What's even cooler, if, if you're into church history, this area of the Gerasenes, when the Roman Empire starts to persecute the Christians heavily after Jesus' resurrection, this area is full of limestone caves and hills. And it was hard for the chariots to get up. So this area becomes a safe haven. And uh, scholars would say that Christians were saved here. Christians were sent out all over the world. The Bible was, scribes copied it here. And so all because Jesus had an appointment with a demon-possessed man. I wonder sometimes if the disciples thought back to that storm and said, man, can you believe that Jesus caused that storm? So we met, I almost want to name the demon-possessed guy just so it's easier, like Fred. Like, can you believe we met Fred that day? Fred became one of our friends, one of the great evangelists. And I wonder when he went town to town, like person to person, did he say, if they were like, who are you? And he's like, do you remember this sound? They're like, oh, that was you. Yeah, that was me. I used to be demon-possessed. I still have the scars from the shackles, but I met a guy named Jesus, and he saved me. And then I bet they had questions. How did he save you? I don't know. Well, how did the, are the demons going to come back? I don't know. Uh, is this going to, I don't know. All I know is I was lost and I was found. I was blind, but now I see. I was possessed, and now I'm filled with his spirit, right? Like, like he can't explain it. He's just sharing what happened. So I, I want to show you this picture of a courtroom. And uh, let's say the next generation is the jury. The next generation is the jury, and they're trying to make up their minds. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is the Bible absolute truth? Who are you in this scene? Let me preface this. Whose job is it in this picture to convince the jury that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Whose job is it? The lawyers. It's the lawyer's job to convince the jury. Here's the exciting part. You and I are not the lawyer. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to convince someone that Jesus is the way. Scripture tells us that only, someone can only come to Jesus if the Spirit draws them, right? Your and I's job is to be a witness. That's it. And here's the cool part. The witness doesn't have to understand how something happens. The witness does not have to have a degree in it. The witness just has to say, I was there. I can't explain it, but this is what happened. And for you, you may feel like you are the least qualified person to reach the next generation for Jesus. I assure you, you are not. And I'm going to give you a few takeaways and next steps in just a moment. But if you could put up that slide for Acts 1-8 for me. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness. Now, it's just really simple. The power from the Holy Spirit is, enables us, gives us a boldness, gives us the discernment, the ability to just share with others what Christ has done in my life. When I first was told about sharing your faith, um, I always felt like sharing my faith felt like, almost like I was a, a creepy Christian pickup line. I don't know if anyone ever felt like that when sharing your faith. You're like, hey, what are you doing later? Nothing. When I come to church with me. It's like, it always just felt like when I asked someone to come to church with me, it was this awkward, creepy moment. But the older I got, the more I realized, I'd say, Lord, would you help me, give me power to be a witness? And sure, I've had some awkward moments since then, but I've been able to share my faith and talk with people. And I, I don't, 
always have success. They don't always come to church with me. But my job is not to be successful. My job is simply to be a witness. A witness doesn't control the final outcome. I'm not responsible for someone's salvation, but I am responsible to to declare with my mouth what Jesus has done in my heart and in my body and in my life. Um, Just a couple more. Here is Matthew 4.19. It says, this is Jesus' initial statement to the disciples. Come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. It's one of the most encouraging statements to me when it comes to reaching the next generation. The next generation right now in the United States, even in our churches, is lost. It's going to require the millennials, the baby boomers, our traditionalists, our Gen Xers to reach them. And here, Jesus is saying, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. He was speaking to fishermen, and he was using a really cool metaphor. It's kind of that simple. Come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. If he was speaking to this room, I think he'd say, come follow me, and I'm going to make you a business person who uses that influence for my kingdom. Come follow me, and I'm going to make you a farmer. I'm going to make you a worker who uses your influence with your crew and your team for my kingdom. Come follow me. I'm going to make you a single mom that raises warriors for Jesus. Come follow me and I'm going to make you a grandparent, an aunt who intercedes and prays for the next generation. I think it's going to look different based on our gifts, based on our ages, based on our seasons, but Jesus is inviting you to be an influencer, to come fish for men, right? Now, here's the cool part. This, if you're into logic, Come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. It's an encouragement. Whose job is it here to make me into a fisher of men? Jesus' job. I'm not trying hard. I'm not trying to be really good at arguing my faith. I'm saying this simple prayer. Jesus, will you make me into a fisher of men? Jesus, will you bring me people that I can share my faith with? Here's the other side that's a challenge. If you put up that slide, it has like pink writing at the top for me. It says... Here's the repercussions. If I'm not fishing for men, it kind of means I'm not following Jesus. Because Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus always keeps his promises. So there's a fruit. Someone who follows Jesus talks about Jesus. Out of the abundance of my heart, the mouth speaks. If Jesus is abounding in my heart, his name and my witness should occasionally come out of my mouth. And here's the cool part. This is not meant to be a guilt trip. If you're in this room right now and you're thinking, Andy, I have not shared my faith in years or a decade, it's totally cool. There's grace for that. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Say a really simple prayer of, Lord, would you give me your heart? Would you make me into a fisher of men? It may be a phone call to a family member. It may be inviting your neighbor to come out to church with you. It could look wildly different. Your job is not to try harder. Your job is to surrender and say, Lord, make me into a fisher of men. If the Lord can use a demon-possessed man to change an entire region, he can use you to reach the next generation with those you have influence with. I promise you. I, I, as a youth pastor, one of my best youth leaders ever uh, was a 72-year-old grandma. She's like, Andy, I don't want to play games. I was like, that's okay. She... she greeted students for years, knew their names, would pray for them, uh, did nothing crazy. I had some other people, even right now, we, we run camps um, over the summer for students. We, we run school assemblies. And I have people that say, Andy, 
I, I, I don't have time, I don't do this, but what I do have is finances, and I'm going to scholarship this many kids to camp. And so you may hear an opportunity right here at FDC, whether it's intercession on a prayer night, whether it's resourcing, you're going to have an opportunity to influence the next generation. And so just our takeaways today, is just four of them on the last slide. Number one, I would encourage you, if you haven't, every time I talk about Jesus, I would encourage you to experience the good news, the gospel. And here's what I mean. If, if, my, if my pipes are leaky at my house, I don't normally get excited to see a plumber, but if I have broken pipes and that plumber comes to my door, he might get a hug. I'm just thankful to see him, right? The other day, well, a little while ago, I, I was broken down on the side of the highway in Philadelphia. I had a, a van full of students, and I had a flat tire. And, and I, I pulled out the jack, if you've, if you've ever had that experience, the jack wouldn't go all the way up because the van had been lit. It's a whole other story. But I couldn't change the tire myself. A mechanic pulls up and says, you look like you're struggling. I said, I absolutely am struggling. He says, you okay if I just fix it for you right here? He fixes it for me. I gave that man too long of a hug. I just hugged him, embraced him. I don't normally do that. When I know my car is broken, I go for a mechanic. When I know my pipes are busted, I want to hug a plumber. When I know my life is broken, I run for a savior, right? The gospel is only good news when you know you're busted, when you're broken. And so I encourage you, if you're in the room, your brokenness doesn't exclude you from Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. You're never going to search for a savior unless you know you're broken. And although this today is not about accepting Jesus and the gospel exactly, I think every time we read scripture, there's an opportunity that points to Jesus. And so maybe, maybe you're like the demoniac and you think you've done too many bad things. Jesus is trying to find you. And if that's you, I know Pastor Jason and people at the church would love to pray with you. And he'll, he'll lead you in a prayer in just a moment. But number two, I'd encourage you to start praying for lost people and have a heart for them, specifically the next generation. That we began to pray and say, Lord, would you use me to reach the next generation? Lord, would you, however I can serve, maybe it's giving finances, maybe it's just prayer, maybe it's serving in the kids' ministry, in the nursery, on a youth night. It can look different ways. Maybe it's inviting a kid in your neighborhood to an event you do here. Number three, um, I, just like I said, start giving financially to missions in God's kingdom. And last but not least, be a witness of God's power in your life. Um, I have started to learn a little bit about what those promptings feel like. Um, and I'll, I'll be transparent about two as I close. There was one recently that I messed up. Sometimes I go into a library if I want to work on a sermon. And it was a little while ago, but I went to a library, and I was right in Morristown, New Jersey, where we live, and I was working from the library. And I looked up, and there was a girl about my age sitting by herself across the study area in the library. And I felt like the Holy Spirit say, Andy, go sit near her and talk to her. And I was like, nope. That's what I told the Holy Spirit. I was like, she's going to think I'm trying to pick her up or something. Like, you know how when the whole, when there's a ton of empty tables, you know, it's like you don't go sit right next to somebody. There's other empty tables. And I felt a stronger prompting. Andy, I'm telling you, go, go sit near her right now. And I didn't. I'm being, I'm being real. And somebody from our church walked in. I started talking to them. And I, I looked up mid-conversation with them. And that girl across the library is bawling her eyes out now, weeping. And so I'm trying to get through with this conversation with the person so now I can go do what the Holy Spirit had asked me to do prior, and she was gone. 
I searched all over the library for, and I remember going home and I just said, Lord, would you send someone else that's more obedient to her? I'm so sorry. Lord, I started interceding for her because I dropped the ball, right? I'm just being transparent. I dropped the ball sometimes. And I was in a coffee shop in North Jersey helping out a parent conference up north. And I was in a coffee shop and I felt the Holy Spirit say, Andy, you're going to share your faith with this barista, this coffee guy. And you know what I said to the Holy Spirit? I said, okay, please make it not awkward. I, I don't mind awkward situations. I, we can go there. We can do the, the Christian pickup line. I said, Lord, I prefer if it was just a normal conversation, but I'll do it. So I go up. He makes a cappuccino for me, and uh, it was a really good cappuccino. So I said, dude, this is great. How'd you do it? Just talk to him. And um, he said, why are you in North Jersey? I don't think you're from here. And I said, I'm not. I'm here to work at a church down, down the road. And he said, I miss going to church. I said, what do you mean you miss going? Oop, I just dropped my mic. I said, what, what do you mean you miss going to church? And he said, I used to go to church. But he goes, I miss that feeling when I walked into church. And I said, bro, that feeling was the presence of God. He said, yeah. But then he started to explain to me why his family left and had a bad experience. And I said, so you're telling me you're going to throw away God because of a bad experience with a man. And so I, I said, are you willing to give it another shot? As soon as we started that conversation, a group of people came in that wanted coffee. And I wanted to be like, go back on the street. We're in the middle of an important conversation. That's okay. But bottom line is the Lord, when you say, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to reach the next generation? He will. If you say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith, he will. He wants to make you into a fisher of men of all ages. Let me pray with you, if I could, and just pray God's blessing that he would continue to shape you into someone who fishes for men. Lord, I thank you for this story that we read today in scripture. Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged that you're still pursuing us. You're still pursuing the adulteress. You're still pursuing the crazy. You're still pursuing the demon-possessed. You're still pursuing the keep making the same mistakes over and over again, people. And we're thankful for that. God, may we experience your presence. And Lord, give us a heart for the next generation. God, give us a heart for lost people. Lord, help us become people that share our faith, that put our arm around the next gen. God, I pray that you would give everyone in this room that's hearts are open an opportunity to talk about their faith, a text message, a phone call, a hallway conversation. But God, would you raise up and bless the next generation at FTC? God, would you protect them from the influence of this world? God, would you give them a heart after yours? God, I pray that you'd bring unity to the homes and the people at FDC, and may they be soul winners for every generation. We ask this in your holy name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Thanks, man. We're going to close. I'm going to offer today's benediction. But wow, that was powerful. Um, you talked about a hundred years from now, um, the impact, the influence of us in this area a hundred years from now. And I was talking to Andy this morning, and we were talking about the ninety-one, the ninety-two years our church has been in existence, and the history of our church is um, to send people out. Most of the Pentecostal uh, churches, whether they're sons of God or not, in Warren County, launched from here. The history of this church is to send missionaries and pastors. It's fun to, it's fun to, to sit into pastor, to pastor Jerry and talk, uh, hear him talk about 
the late 60s and early 70s and the young men that his father would just take on the, on the streets in Washington and, and teach them to preach. And how many of them have experienced ministry and, and how we're being influenced by what happened all those years ago and how we have an opportunity to influence what's coming. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for how much you love us. I pray that blessing that we talked about in Aaron and we, uh, from Aaron and we sang this morning that you would bless us and keep us. That you truly would write your name on us and your face would shine us shine on us, that we would be gracious and receive grace from you, that we would turn our face toward you, and that we would experience your peace. Be honored in everything we say. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you so much. Make sure you say thanks to Andy for his ministry this morning.